Welcome back to Our Justice Journey with Dr. Vajra Watson, part two. And we thank you for your continued interest in this discussion. And like Sacramento being on the final stage in the world for spoken word and, you know, Yelly and Takara and Dre T. And I mean, these folks that I had the honor and privilege of like watching grow up who have really just continued to take Sacramento and put Sacramento on the map in yeah. such profound, like pro-Black ways. Yeah. And that was an honor to witness. Well, then speaking to that, um, I want to quickly touch on, you know, as a white woman, you have done so much to help the Black community and so much to, you know, really push for progression and sustainable growth um, in a multitude of ways. Um, but I did want to ask, what do you think the role is then of white mm-hmm. people when it comes to social justice, when it comes to restorative change for, mm-hmm. you know, for future generations? What do you, where do you feel that role is and mm-hmm. what does that look like for you? Well, one is I don't, I wouldn't say like, oh, I've helped the black community or, you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't say that. I would say, you know, if anything, um, when I think back to my life, I was like really privileged in a sense of at a relatively young age, you know, black people continuing to, to school me out of my ignorance or, I mean, I had a friend, um, Lydell X in seventh grade and we would debate, he was in the nation of Islam and we were just like, oh, like it was lunch, mm-hmm. like having our little <laughs> He'd be like, you haven't read James Baldwin. Like you're a little ignorant white girl. And he just would be <laughs> on me. And I would really like be competitive and be like, oh, I need to go to the library. Like who's James Baldwin? Like I need to go read that. Yeah. And so that then by the time I got to high school and, you know, being the only white girl in the black studies department and the Chicano studies department and, um, you know, the teachers and my friends, they could have just been like, man, get her out of here. But folks were like, you know, one of the things that I had told white teachers that were like offended that I was in those classes is I was like, well, they said, you know, you're being brainwashed to believe all this like black power stuff. And I, you know, and I was like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm not in these classes learning what it means to be black. (laughs) What are you learning? And I said, oh, I'm learning what it means to be white. And they were like, oh my gosh, she in the blessing of her learning what it means to be white. Like, what? We can't even deal with her. They started leaving. <laughs> um, and so I just think that one, you know, it was, you know, it was by, by God's grace that I was able to be in classes with such wise and powerful teachers yeah. and was raised with enough humility to know when to shut up and like really take in and understand my skin. And that's a never ending positionality. That's a never ending politic. That's a never ending like embodiment. Um, I did not, uh, I definitely did not set out like to be the the white lady like with says like, just, you know, we all, that's like, you know, the, the dangerous minds or whatever stereotype, you know, the, mm-hmm. the white like missionary type of thing. And so I battled with that. I'm very proud that says now has like black leadership, you know, so says is in the hands of Patrice Hill and Denisha Bland, the director and associate director. 
Um, and I think that's important. So to, to full circle, right, to your question, part of the work is always seeking to decenter whiteness. Mm. Some of the greatest people to decenter whiteness is white people. And so, you know, black people did not invent or manifest or create racism. My people did that. So if my people did that, what is my responsibility to dismantling white supremacy? Yeah. I would say that my responsibility is different than yours in the sense that your people are not the culprits of racism and white supremacy. And so there is a, um, a profound responsibility that I have as a white woman in this work, not to lift up black people, but to check white people and deal with my colleagues and my white comrades and, you know, and call us out more and more and really try to move us from like this white fragility to white accountability that hopefully at one point, many generations from now will allow us to regain our place with humanity. Because yeah. we spent hundreds of years pulling ourselves away from humanity. Humanity probably doesn't want us back. And that's part, that might be part of it. But for those of us who want to reclaim our humanity and want to do that, you know, that work, then it's like, what is, how are we living out our lives in a way that dismantles whiteness within ourselves, within our families, within our communities, um, within our professional, you know, spheres. And it, you know, it's not easy, but it's necessary. Exactly, exactly. And I believe that that definitely speaks to the dual-sided nature of, you know, trying to tackle systemic racism, you know? And I think that if, we all aren't comfortable essentially, you know, taking really accountability for our role. We can't necessarily see change for the entire population. And I think that that's probably one of the most key struggles um, mm -hmm. right now, not understanding that, you know, it, it's gonna take all of us. It's, it's not one or two people, you know? And I think that that, as to speak to your point earlier about, you know, we can look up to Malcolm X, but not all of us are gonna be Malcolm X, you know? So it's about finding your position, but also holding yourself accountable, you know, to hold that position even when no one's looking, you know? And that's on that's on all ends of the spectrum, all ends of the spectrum, you know? Because I think that these issues, they definitely transcend more than what we see as the black, white, you know, racial dichotomy. It, 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 transcends all of that completely because mm -hmm. this is really you know like as you said the way in which we have chosen or yeah the ways in which we have chosen to shape humanity in its current form mm -hmm. and we're seeing the repercussions of that every day so it's about you know how do we go forward and how do we hold ourselves and each other you know accountable and how do we get to a space in which accountability isn't something that brings discomfort mm -hmm. you know so where accountability is something that encourages trust mm -hmm. and encourages community. So I would love to hear from you, you and your thoughts on that, about how to increase accountability on all ends and just building that, that trust because even when it comes to allyship, you know, it's mm -hmm. very hard um, 
at least in my personal experience, um, it's very hard to trust, you know, the presence of an ally because it's also like, okay, well, I know why I'm here, but do you know why you're here? And vice versa, vice versa. So I think, you know, having a place for everybody to mm -hmm. kind of grow in um, is important. So I really appreciate your, your wisdom, Nicole. Um, a couple things. I mean, definitely, I think that we have to hold this notion of like a beloved community and that, you know, if all we do is build community, that is a revolutionary act. Yeah. And um, there's no one outside the circle and the circle meaning earth, right? And the, the notion that there is, you know, in essence, one people, you know, yeah. white people got race wrong, right? So there is this very sacred, beloved community that's like ever present and very transcendent, right? Yeah. At the same time, because of how we are like socialized and raised and, you know, we're fishes in the, in the water of white supremacy, you know, we can't necessarily see it, but it's, it's, it's part of how we're breathing. It's all consuming. Yeah. Um, I am, a, I'm an advocate that, um, I'm an advocate that in general, white people should not be trusted, myself included. I don't really believe in allyship. It's not something that I personally like strive for. Mm -hmm. It, it a little bit of a cringe there for me. Um, my friend and colleague Bettina Love talks a lot about being a co-conspirator. Mm, yes, it's a little bit deeper to it. Yeah. Um, but I also think that, you know, for instance, like my friends in high school, they'd be like, "Oh, you're in the Black Studies Department in classes," and then everyone wanted me to be part of like the BSU at school, the Black Student Union, because they're like, "Well, you're in class with us. Just stay for lunch." Yeah, I would always walk out the room, be like, ah, it's one thing to be a seeker of truth. Mm -hmm. And in as a seeker of truth, I'm in class, I'm shoulder to shoulder with you. I mean, we're friends, we're classmates, we're like seeking knowledge. I believe anyone on earth should be able to seek knowledge, like read and study and like find truth, right? Yeah. That is very different than politically, political organizing. And to yeah. me, even at that, you know, 14, 15, I'm like, man, I'm like, I don't, I don't think the BSU is for me. Like it just, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I, just, mm, I just don't think. And so I do also, it gets harder and harder because I've been doing this work for a long time and people yeah. be like, oh no you're down, you should go over here and talk, or, you know, we're having this event and you should be the keynote. And it's like, I haven't always had the wisdom to say no. And, but there have been times where I've gotten into the room and I'm like, oh, you know what? That's you. And I should have said, no, thank you. <laughs> you know? And so, um, you know, again, it's like, it's, it's, it's the walk of it. It's knowing like, when to step forward, when, when being like a white person in this work is really important, right? To, to breaking spaces and also sometimes being invited by people of color and being like, no, I don't think a white person should play this role and that's not for me. Um, yeah. And, you know, and it's a hard thing to always get right. 
you know, sometimes you just in the moment, you're like, missed that one. But, you know, it's, it's still a growing experience. And I think that's one of the most important takeaways that I think I've learned personally, you know, on my journey or starts to my journey, you know, um, of social justice and advocacy that, you know, this is ever evolving. And I think that a lot of the time for youth, it can feel like you're going to almost get trapped in wherever society is at currently, because, you know, that's when you're entering, that's when you're, you know, so you're starting to do your research and you are met with, you know, the realities of the world. And the world is not as nice as people tend to try to make it seem. And I think that, you know, for you, it can definitely be discouraging to see a world, you know, so early on and think I have the rest of my life, but think I have the rest of my life of this, you know? So being able to then take a step back and understand that, okay, well, as I evolve, that means that the world is evolving. If the world world is evolving, the problem will not always be the same. Mm. But if that's the case, then we also need to stay very keenly aware of the fact that if the problem is not the same, that means that we have to be, hold ourselves accountable to constantly be seeking it out. Mm. And that's not being negative, but that's, that's being realistic. You know, mm. if we even look at human nature and the way in which we think of, you know, even systemic racism, mm. um, I forgot who it was that I was doing podcasts um, on, but she had just written a book and she described systemic racism as a caste system. And mm-hmm. the way in which it functions in America, I, w- I would say that's ar- it's arguably true, you know, just because. I think it's Walkerson, I have, or uh, Isabel Wilkerson. Ooh, yes, yes, I, I, think, I think it was, yeah. I think it was. And it, I just, I was like, that's such an interesting perspective, but it's so valid because it's less about, oh, these are all these different ways in which people are trying to, you know, make sure that black people are disadvantaged or mm-hmm. make sure that these people don't have equal rights. It's more so about the second you enter this society, you are put into a place in which you're either trying to align yourselves with the top or get away from the people mm-hmm. at the bottom of the gas system. But until the people at the bottom of the gas system are able to eat and mm-hmm. survive and live and grow in community, we're not going to see those changes at all. Mm-mm. Um, but that definitely brings, that brings me to my next question of then, do you feel like the path in regards to advocacy and, and change in the future, do you feel that this is a path of reconciliation or a path of reconstruction? Hmm, that's so interesting. Um, I mean, I don't think that we'll necessarily be able to reconstruct and build new worlds Um, without healing. And so when I think of healing, I do think of like reconciliation. Um, And then that, you know, I think, you know, I I did this um, webinar series called like leading with justice. And it was so intentional that it wasn't leading towards justice. It was leading with justice. So what does it mean to embody justice? Well, I would say that part of that would be balance. Yeah. So there needs to be reconciliation to bring balance, power balance to earth, right? That you have a small, you know, group of people who have created tremendous imbalance in our relationship with one another, our relationship with nature. So the, the walk of justice, right, is rectifying 
the imbalances both individually, interpersonally, and then at the institutional level. Yeah. Um, and then the 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 reconstruction piece is is really nice because I think it challenges us to have like our a quantum leap. Um, my colleague uh, Sean Jenright talks about quantum leaps, a quantum leap in our imagination about how we define and um, imagine liberation, but imagine past liberation, right? Um, and so I just, I, I think that they go hand in hand. I think healing is going to take a lot of different forms. You know, I think sometimes it's the it's the fire, right? You need the fire, the water, the, you know, all the elements really coming together in new ways. You know, you think about, we talked about Malcolm X earlier, like that fire. We thank you for listening to part two of Our Justice Journey with Dr. Roger Watson. To further listen to this discussion, feel free to visit part three.